all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. And good morning. It's Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and I am here with my lovely co-host, Dr. Allie Brown. And today's topic is... Infertility. We are, well, infertility, fertility, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, Reproductive technologies and all things in between. So questions related to ovulation, difficulty getting pregnant, and even a little question about maybe maintaining pregnancies. Um, This is the show for you. If you'd like to give us a call, our phone lines are open and we are taking your calls. The number is 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. And our guests today are Drs. Marty Gephardt and Dr. Randall Hines from Mississippi Reproductive Medicine. Um, these are these are people who are very near and dear to my heart, folks who are good friends and colleagues that we've known for a very long time. Um, I'm so glad that we were able to have you guys back on to talk about this. This is a, a really important topic. Um, and, you know, on this show, we really like to, um, I guess, bring things out to the forefront and sometimes have conversations that many people will have difficulty talking about or may feel uncomfortable about. And we know that there are many women and many couples, I think it's fair to say, who struggle with this desire to have a baby or to somehow get to achieving a successful pregnancy. Um, So we're really glad that you guys are here. And I would like, so we'll start with Dr. Gephardt and we'll have you just introduce yourself for our listening audience. And then Dr. Hines will have you do the same and then we'll get into the meat about what you guys do and hopefully um, we'll be able to take some calls and give some folks some good information. So good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Uh, My name is Marty Gephardt and I am a board certified nurse practitioner and I studied at University of Mississippi Medical Center and then I received my doctoral studies from University of Alabama at Birmingham. And, Go Blazers. Yay. Sorry, had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have been with Mississippi Reproductive Medicine since 2010. And uh, our focus there is just what you said, infertility or fertility, however, however you want to look at it. And um, trying to offer as many options as we can for patients. We, we offer conservative management, things that um, don't don't actually have to cost very much to the most advanced technologies that are available with IVL and pre-implantation genetic screening and egg donors and all all types of complicated things to help people achieve a pregnancy. So, Dr. Hines, good morning to good you. Good morning. Good morning. It's so funny to call you Dr. Hines. So, if I say Randy, guys, that's, he's Randy to me. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So grew up in Greenville and uh, did medical school here in Jackson, uh, residency in Kentucky and fellowship in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, have been um, at Mississippi Reproductive Medicine. We started in 2010. Before that, I was on the faculty at UMC where we knew each other. (laughs) And I was there for 14 years and knew both of y'all at that point in time. 
So, um, and so Mississippi Reproductive Medicine is the business that you guys, that you started, right? That's right. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. So it been an academic uh, practice for a long time and then decided to do something different and opened up a private practice and uh, have really enjoyed it. And we're excited currently on a streak of 12 pregnancies from our present transfer. So Wonderful. We're, we're excited about that. Awesome. Um, and of course, that's the more complicated stuff. But the simple stuff that we start with uh, that, you know, your listeners might want to know about is if you're ready to get pregnant, you know, be healthy. You know, so things like alcohol, moderation of alcohol, avoiding tobacco, limiting caffeine intake, watching your weight, good nutrition, exercise. So that's, you know, just the really simple stuff to get started is just be healthy if you're going to have a baby. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, And sometimes people don't think about that. But one of the things that we often say is that the easiest way to have a healthy baby is to have a healthy mom. Um, And by optimizing your own individual health, you subsequently can optimize your reproductive health. Absolutely. Um, And so we are going to also hopefully later on have an opportunity to talk about some of the medical uh, complications or things that many, we're in Mississippi, so uh, and and many of our listeners are from around the southeast. So we have folks listening from Arkansas, and Louisiana, and Tennessee, and Alabama, um, and so uh, those folks know about high blood pressure and diabetes and obesity and and how those kinds of disorders can um, also inf- influence their um, reproduction. So well, another important point that both of you guys made is that I think a lot of people, when they think about infertility treatment, they go straight to IVF and they think, I'll never be able to, it's too expensive. I'm not, they may not even seek help because they're not aware that there are a lot of other options to start with from as easy as being healthy, which is free. Exactly. And then even some medical interventions that are not as expensive as in vitro fertilization. So hopefully we'll be able to give the listeners some hope for some folks that may not have the resources that there are options for them to evaluate. Yeah, and and most of our patients aren't going to need really expensive, complicated therapies. Most of our pregnancies are going to occur from low-cost therapies. So in addition to giving the hope, we're going to give out the phone number, and that's 1-877-672-7464 or 1-877-MPB-RING. Our lines are open, and our conversation today is focusing on fertility, um, how you can achieve it, um, some of the uh, barriers to fertility, and how you might be able to overcome those. Um, I think one of the one of the questions that I would have is, or that I'm seeing now, is there's some confusion with um, among women about when is the best time. Like, when do I pull the trigger and actually go? I think so. There's a a part of the the reluctance or the hesitance to say that. Well, is there a problem, or is this something that I really need to look into, or is it just one of those things where we just need to keep trying? Is there something wrong with? Um, like what we're doing just from day to day that may be creating a barrier for us having a successful pregnancy or becoming pregnant. So I'm saying us guys, because this is for you guys too. So if you're a male and you're listening or part of a a couple who may be struggling with this, or if you're thinking about um, conceiving or fertility, uh, I think that it's a really important part to, to recognize number one, that there's, it, it takes two, it still takes two. And the next thing is just trying to figure out, well, when's the right time for us to actually pursue some other assistance or when is the right time to ask for help? 
Uh, right, and that's a really good point. Um, a lot of our patients that we see when we do an initial visit with them, you know, they've been trying to get pregnant for a year, two years, three years, and that's what we really want to discourage. Um, the The diagnosis of infertility is if you haven't gotten pregnant after a year of trying and you're under the age of 35, or if it's more than six months and you're over the age of 35, you should be talking with someone. Um, and again, like we were just saying, there are a lot of small interventions that can be done that aren't that complicated, aren't that costly, that can just be the difference to whether you're successful or not. And the big thing, you just have to come in and be evaluated so that we can get you on the right plan, get you started in the right direction. And one caveat to that is if you know if you know you have a problem, don't wait six months or a year. So if your cycles are once every three months, you're not ovulating well. So you don't need to wait because you've got a problem, you've defined a problem. So come on in and then that's when the low-cost therapy is really effective because we can use clomiphene, clomid, or letrozole, and we can help people ovulate who otherwise are not ovulating well, and pregnancies often come very quickly. Uh, the same thing applies as if you know uh, you have symptoms of endometriosis, pain, uh, pain with the cycles, and that sort of thing, then you might want to come in sooner. And then, of course, if there's any suggestion that there's a male factor you know, we see males come in early and then and get evaluated. And that's really when the couple comes in, we're going to go through the history. In terms of testing, one of the first things we're going to do is to evaluate the male with the semen analysis uh, because sometimes men don't have symptoms when they have a sperm problem. And that's inexpensive, easy to do, no risk. Check the sperm and be sure that everything's okay. Yeah, and that, so I'm glad that you mentioned that um, because this is so this tends to be a little bit of a touchy subject um and so many women tie their ability to have children or their reproductive capacity to their identity or to their femininity and so if women are struggling one of the things that you find is that it's very hard for them a to admit that there may be a problem or there's a, a concern or anxiety about there being something wrong because somehow that may it it kind of gets to the core of how many of us identify as women and that's not everybody everybody's not identified by their uterus but for some women their reproductive capacity is very much central to um them how they view themselves as a woman the other thing is the virility piece for for men and the whole concept about um, whether or not they have low sperm counts or if there's something that happens to be wrong or if there's something unusual about their sperm and how that may actually be tied to their own personal identity or how they view themselves as a man. So um, I, I don't know. Do you guys really address that as part right, of we, this we, process? Yeah, and we see that all the time. And I have to say that a lot of times the men take it harder than the women. You know, men are, are more tied to the sperm count results than, than sometimes women are to their results. Uh, but it's not a reason to avoid testing. Just come in and get tested and then, you know, put that, check that off the box. Check and it's like any other illness, ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Exactly. Right. Well, and, there's, and there's some things that can be done if right. if that is the case then exactly. it doesn't mean that that that's not the end of the road right, right. so it's right. not like oh well the buck stops here there's nothing else that can be done 
there there just may need to be some things that are done in order to either bypass that or to to make sure that that is overcome as a barrier to achieving a pregnancy. Right. Okay. So, you know, there's medical treatment for low sperm counts and then there's insemination. So, uh, you know, there's a lot that can be done and, and you shouldn't shy away from being tested. Absolutely. So it's about time for us to take our first break. Again, our phone lines are open. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I know you guys got some questions. Stop being shy. Um, so go ahead and give us a call. We're going to take a break, let you get your questions together, um, and we will be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back at Southern Remedy for Women, and we are talking about infertility today. We have our guests, Dr. Marty Gephardt and Dr. Randall Hines from Mississippi Reproductive Medicine, and we are answering your questions related to fertility. Um, the number is one 672 That's one eight seven seven mpb ring and all of our phone lines are open. So um, we are going to move right on in to, uh, so I got tons of questions. You know, this is all over. It's amazing how within... It hadn't quite been 50 years, I I don't guess, but within the past 40, however many years, um, that this particular part of medicine has just exploded. Yes, Um, it changed so fast. Absolutely. And and I I think that we actually probably have learned a whole lot more, and technology has just enabled us to really do some incredible things that had been able to you know, allow people to really build and experience the families that they really wanted um, and deserve. And so um, there's probably a lot. I know I try to stay abreast of pop culture. And so lots of people are using surrogates and um, and you hear a lot about egg donation and other things like that. So, I mean, are those kinds of um, opportunities and those kinds of services available here, and then talk to us a little bit about that. Those are available here, and you know we have patients that come in and they'll talk about a 48 year old that became pregnant, and the first thing I usually share with them is it was probably through the use of egg donation. Um, there's there's not many people who could get pregnant and achieve a pregnancy and stay pregnant um, at that age. So what a lot of our patients are considering and utilizing is um, egg donation. And we do offer that service here, and we have both anonymous egg donors and known egg donors. So for maybe an older patient or someone who has decreased ovarian reserve or um, their ovarian function is not well, they may come to us and bring, say, their younger first cousin, and that patient does not have any infertility problems, and she would be a perfect donor. And then for patients who don't have a known donor, we offer 
um, anonymous donation through egg donors we have in our clinic, actually. And uh, we're able to provide that service for our patients. So, um, I, and I want to pick up with that really quickly, guys, just so you know, we've got a caller on the line, so we're going to move to the phone lines in just a second. But in the event that you want to call in and you don't want to use your name or if you, you know, may be a little concerned or embarrassed or what have you, first of all, no reason to be embarrassed um, because this is something that a lot of people struggle with. But the other part is that if you'd like not to use your name, you can definitely call in as anonymous. If you want to just be Michelle from Jackson, I will lend you my purse. I will lend you my identity for the for the next hour um, and uh, we would just love to take your call so that we can get information out because the interesting thing about this is ladies and men you are not alone and this is far more common than you would expect so with that we are going to move to our phone lines and hear from Jessica who's calling us from Greenville good morning Jessica howdy how's everybody doing and we're my doing question, great my question has to do with if if a woman is extremely healthy what would be the range, you know, the highest age that she should consider fertility treatment. And I'll, uh, I'll hang up and listen on the, on the radio. Thanks so much for the program. Thanks for your call. Dr. Hines, you want to take that? So there are several issues. One is that um, the eggs are the rate-limiting step for most women, and you're born with uh, a couple of million eggs. And then All that... of the eggs you're ever going to have. <laughs> right. We You've get them before. up front. <laughs> they pay it forward. We get it in the beginning. And so that and egg it's supply. It's all downhill from birth. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's how it works. That's how it works. So the egg supply declines, and, and so, uh, you know, getting pregnant with your own eggs gets more difficult as you get uh, beyond 40. Uh, certainly we have patients up to about 45 that get pregnant with their own eggs, but not a lot, obviously. And then, uh, then you can still get pregnant as long as you have a normal uterus. You can get pregnant with a donor egg, as Marty was discussing and then the limitation is the health of the woman. And um, at about 50, that's probably when it's really not a good idea to try to get pregnant with uh, donor eggs. Uh, that's uh, somewhat arbitrary, and there are, of course, cases in the literature of people much older. Uh, one case that didn't get a lot of attention was a, was a woman in her late 50s who got pregnant and had a stroke during her pregnancy. So you want to be careful as you're getting over 50. That That's uh, kind of pushing it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, that's important. Pregnancy is not an easy thing, and no. your body goes through an awful lot. And, you know, there are a lot of risks involved just with being pregnant. It's not just about losing the pregnancy, but it's about the health of you. And if you're right. not healthy, then, of course, the baby Right. Yeah, and, and you think about it, we often say that it's pregnancy is kind of like a stress test because the normal changes that our bodies have to undergo just in order to um, to allow a normal pregnancy and to have a healthy pregnancy, you got to have some cardiac reserve. Your heart's got to kind of pretty much be in shape because there's additional stress. I mean, you are basically creating a whole new individual inside your body. You are growing another person. And so there are lots of changes that women have to undergo in order to be able to do that. And so what you're starting with really matters. But the other piece is you got to have some extra because you get pushed a little bit. And so the older that you are, the, the less reserve you tend to have. Most people don't build up more and more reserve over time. They're, we get to a certain point where we peak. And then over time, I know it sounds really, doesn't it sound sad? 
Bummer. But but over time, you know, you're reserved. But everybody knows that as we age, the things that you you don't feel like you can do the way that you used to be able to do them. I mean, that's just the reality of life. And so um, just recognizing that, you know, your ability to have reserve or your ability to adapt at 20 or 25 is a lot different when you are 50. And so even for women who are very healthy, um, it's about that extra push, that extra stress that pregnancy creates, not just the weight on your joints, but the stress on your heart and some of those other changes that, you know, may not necessarily correct as quickly um, after pregnancy is over um, and that could create some lasting medical complications or situations that you just don't recover from. Um, so that being said, we have another caller on the line. So we are going to go to Ginger, who's calling us from Vicksburg. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you well. How are you? Okay, I'm good. How are y'all? Doing great. Okay. Well, I'm trying to just tell my story. I hear this, and I have some friends that went through the fertility issues as well. And back in the, well, my mother was told she couldn't have children and adopted my brother, and she was in the process of, uh, adopted a girl and ended up pregnant with me, but she's not medical and said she had to take medicine to keep from losing me and she didn't know what it was. And so I had problems with irregular periods and no set cycle and pain with that. And my mother had endometriosis and had to have a hysterectomy. So I have all this family history of that. And so anyway, I was told by OBGYN that I would not be able to get pregnant, that I did not ovulate, I would have to take utility pills, etc. Well, to me, I did get pregnant, and I had a miscarriage, okay, at about 12 weeks after the fetal pole had been established, and then um, turned around and got pregnant again about a couple years later and had another miscarriage around nine weeks, and I was telling my physicians about it, and at the time, the second time I had a miscarriage, I was in Oregon. And I had, the doctors were following me very closely. And I was like, okay, but I had a miscarriage and and had a BNC. And so then I turned around and got pregnant again. I was very healthy. I was running marathons and everything else. And so when I got pregnant the third time, I went to the, I went to the medical library where I worked and researched recurrent miscarriages in the book there and started telling them to test my um, thyroid test, my progesterone, look at this, look at that. I told the, the, the doctor this, and it was a, a DO at the time because the medical doctor I was seeing out there was not available that, that week that they were checking my blood, checking this, checking that. And anyway, um, the medical doctor came back the next week, and he said, I see where they checked your progesterone. Did you, did you know what level it was? And I said, it was a 14. And he said, oh, my God. He said, you need to be on progesterone immediately. And so they put me on vaginal progesterone immediately because your progesterone level has to be at a 25 to maintain the the first tri- the placenta in the first trimester of pregnancy, which is necessary for the vitality of the, or the, 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 vitality of the fetus. And anyway, um, I told my doctor back at home, man, who's a friend of mine, he said, oh, well, that's not proven. And I said, well, I said, I have a healthy baby girl. And then I got back and got pregnant again with my son, and it was fixing to go to Boston, and they were checking my blood. And I said, will you call me if there's a problem with my progesterone, et cetera, et cetera? And he's like, well, the first time they checked, it was like a 21. And he said, well, it's low, but it's not that low, not enough to do anything. 
And so I left, and I gave him my phone number. I said, you call me. Well, as soon as I got up there, he got my blood test back, and it had dropped an 11. And he immediately put me on progesterone, and I had a healthy baby boy. And then my my sister-in-law that lives in Amarillo, Texas, she was having the same problems. And her husband is a anesthesiologist out there, and my mother was telling him about the problem. She had the same problem. So he researched it and said that he told his doc- her doctors to do the same thing, and now she has three healthy babies. So I just wanted to tell you, don't take no for an answer and research it yourself. And, you know, even if it's not proven, and, you know, it, they even said that, the progesterone will not harm the fetus, even if even if it's not needed. Give it anyway because it actually can increase your intelligence. So I will hang up and just listen and and just hear your thoughts on that because that was back in 1998, 97, you know, around that time. So it's been a long time. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ginger, for sharing that and for sharing your story. Congratulations to you and your family for being able to uh, be persistent. We try to tell people all the time, stay persistent. Um, There's nothing wrong with getting second opinions. But, you know, we all appreciate informed patients and folks who do their homework, so to speak, and learn more about their bodies. It's always great to have people who can make suggestions or to say, hey, you know, this is what I was reading. Does that really apply to my situation or circumstance? But I think the other thing that you bring up, which is um, something that I don't want to be lost here, is that um, there's more that Dr. Hines and Dr. Gephardt treat within their offices. So we're talking specifically about fertility, but that whole process of fertility, there are lots of different places along the continuum that gets a woman from ovulation to a healthy pregnancy. And so there are lots of different places where there can be an intervention um, or there can be a potential problem. And so it sounds like yours might have been an issue related to progesterone. Um, And that's really important because as part of the evaluation that you would get in an office such as Dr. Hines, it would probably be related to looking at all of those things and trying to determine where along the pathway there may be something where an intervention might be beneficial. So thank you so much for sharing that and for also bringing out the attention that even though we're talking about fancy stuff like the IVF and egg donation and all of those other things, and that kind of goes back to what I think Dr. Hunt said earlier about there being some other um, interventions that and most people not needing those exactly. things exactly <laughs> like that's the stuff that's you're further on down the road then as opposed to um, you know needing something like progesterone supplementation or needing a medication to help make sure that you're ovulating regularly and those are kind of the low hanging fruit that are lower cost uh, but that can still get you where you want to be if it's ultimately achieving pregnancy. So thanks for that. We're going to stay on our phone lines and hear from Annie, who's calling us from Jackson. Good morning, Annie. How are you? Hi, it's actually Amy. Oh, sorry. Well, Amy. <laughs> no worries. Um, I'm from Jackson, but I live in Memphis now. So I used to have a pelvic health there. Uh, my pelvic health clinic was in South Haven, Mississippi, and I just moved to Memphis, Tennessee. But I service a lot of women from um Mississippi, especially North Mississippi. And um, so I just was so interested in your segment because I work with a lot of women with fertility issues. And the caller that was just talking was talking about endometriosis and pelvic pain and um, having pain with intercourse and things like that. So I just wanted to do a little plug for pelvic health physical therapy. Um, There aren't a whole lot of therapists that do this work in Mississippi, but we are growing. And that's also an alternative. Um, 
uh, option for a lot of women to look into um, who are dealing with fertility issues because if you are spasming in your pelvic floor muscles or holding tension around your pelvic organs, it can affect fertility. So we work a lot of times with our with the um, physicians that are helping women achieve pregnancy to help the physical part of the body um, to be as healthy as possible so that they can get pregnant and stay pregnant. Absolutely. And Amy, here's the, we're going to just let the elephant out of the room. The other piece is that for a lot of the work that you and, and folks like you do, um, it helps people to have a, a healthier, more, more robust sex life, which yes. can also be very important in the process of ultimately achieving pregnancy. So Absolutely. that is a that's because if, if you don't if you don't like doing it, it's going to make it a whole lot harder. So yes. um, so that's mm-hmm. another thing that I think is really important. Um, and, you know, we talk about sexual health um, and do several shows over the course of the year that address those issues. But whether it's that or if it's uh, urogynecology-related issues with prolapse and other things or just folks having just discomfort or pain in in that area or region, that's definitely something that can make a difference. And it changes how they feel, not only about themselves and their bodies, but that whole change in your attitude and your emotional wellness, I think, also can have a positive impact on outcomes as well. Absolutely. Pain you should never have pain with intercourse, like ever. Even if it's just a little bit, that's always, almost always a sign that there is something that is going on with the muscles that can be helped um, with physical therapy, but a specific kind of physical therapy. So not just the one that teaches you how to, you know, fix your ankle sprain. Yeah. But- <laughs> you have to find a pelvic health physical therapist. <laughs> Absolutely. So thanks so much for that little pearl of wisdom, because I think oftentimes when women think about, um, when we think about our nether regions, we don't always consider um, the possibility of employing other modalities of treatment. So right. people may think about going to OBGYN or to their uh, primary care physician, but they won't necessarily always think about the ability to get additional assistance from something like uh, physical therapy. I think people think it's all in their head or, and things like that. So I think that's good to bring awareness to those options. Yeah, and um, Amy, I'd also like to add that that endometriosis, we have a lot of patients that are affected by endometriosis, and that is yes. uh, one of their main reasons why they're having infertility. And, um, you know, when I have a patient tell me, well, you know, I have that normal pain, the normal pain that lasts three or four days, or the normal pain with a bowel movement, or the normal pain with intercourse, and you, you know, sort of have to set that straight that maybe that's not really normal. You really shouldn't be having that pain. And, we absolutely um, it's it's easy I, I guess enough to to be able to diagnose and treat that with um, an outpatient surgery oftentimes that our patients need uh, through a laparoscopy and once we treat that lapar um, I'm sorry treat the endometriosis through a laparoscopy and they're trying to get pregnant that pregnancy rate actually goes up so that's a good thing for us to always rule yeah. out or and if they do have it to actually treat it. And honestly, we like to treat as, as early as possible. So if we, even before they start having to have, start trying to get pregnant, if they are having pain with periods, pain at any point in your body is a message. And we shouldn't ignore it just because we've been told all our lives that you're supposed to have intense cramping or, or you know, laying on the floor taking Midol or whatever. Like that's always a sign that there's something going on. If we can address that earlier than before you actually start trying to get pregnant, it's, it's your outcome is going to be so much better. So. Agree. 
listen to your body and get the help that you need. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Amy. Have a wonderful yeah. weekend. You too. Thank you so much for doing this segment. We all need to hear this. Awesome. Um, so really quickly, I wanted to say something else because she was talking about this. You guys, I'm sure you hear this a lot. People have been told that they can't have children. Right. So that was one of the things that uh, the call, or earlier caller mentioned. Mm-hmm. We never, ever tell somebody they can't have a baby. I mean, there's a few cases where maybe they can't, but we've seen so many miracles, if you will. Yes. Uh, people that we even we aren't sure that they can do it, and, and they do. Um, so uh, we don't ever say never unless there's some absolute concrete barrier to pregnancy. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about probabilities and the likelihood of somebody getting pregnant, we always finish with, and you could just get pregnant. You know, it's probabilities low, but that could happen. So patients have to balance that against the therapies that we're talking to them about. Yeah. What, really quickly, guys, the number one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Randy, I always tell them, if you got the parts, if your parts are all there, then then potentially everything could come together and a baby could, could occur. And so, sometimes when the parts aren't there, we can help. <laughs> Indeed. Adam, I see you. We're going to get to you right after this break. Um, and we will be right back. Southern Remedy for Women, talking about all things fertility. We'll be back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for listening. We're back at Southern Remedy for Women, and today's topic is fertility. We have our guests from Mississippi Reproductive Medicine, Drs. Randall Hines and Marty Gephardt, and we are taking your questions and answering your calls here at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 And we have a wonderful caller on the line who we are going to go to right now. We're going to hear from Adam, who's calling us from Biloxi. Good morning, Adam. Hi, how are you today, or, or everyone? We're great. Good, thank you. <laughs> What's your question? Right. Well, um, I was really concerned with um, local resources here in Biloxi. I understand that the gentleman um, and, and possibly um, more of you on the panel may be uh, there in the Jackson area, but um, I was wondering about local resources here on the coast. Uh, you know. Yeah, so there are... Um infertility clinics in uh, New Orleans and in Mobile, and I believe that there's a a branch of one of those clinics somewhere on the coast. I'm not totally sure about that. Uh, And then, of course, you can always start with either, uh, if if you have infertility, your wife can go into their OBGYN because those people have all been trained in the basics. And and if you don't have access to that, a urologist, you know, to start with a sperm count. So there are lots of folks on the coast that can help you. And then um, we also see patients from long distances, and they come in, they get a consult, and then a lot of the testing can be done locally. So sometimes it's not so hard to go for a visit and then get some testing done locally. So, Adam, that answer your question? It does. It does. Thank you very much. Uh, well, uh, just a just a quick um, concern. I, I've always been a man of faith, and um, I guess with this matter of um, 
some of the procedures that I um, hear about and that sort of thing. Um, the many patients uh, have a have similar concerns with um, you know sort of the uh, involvement of uh, I guess what you would consider maybe science or medicine with uh, what you know is probably one of the most natural things in the world. Yeah, so we see patients from uh, you know a diverse. Um religious viewpoint and uh, viewpoint on, on these matters, and we try to accommodate that in our therapies. Uh, there's some patients, for, and a certain therapy is just not going to be appropriate for them, or we're going to have to tailor that therapy to what their belief system is. Uh, so we're, we're very aware of that and attuned to that and talk to patients about that. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Again, like there are lots of options, and you're never going to push something on someone that they're right. not looking to, to do. Right. So we have patients, for instance, we have patients, for instance, who um, aren't comfortable with uh, having a lot of excess embryos, and they want to just inseminate a few eggs at an IVF cycle. So we've done that successfully, and then freeze the remaining eggs. So there are a lot of ways around those issues. That's awesome. Thanks for the conversation, guys, and the answers. I hope you all have a great day. You too, Adam. Thank you. Thanks so much for your call. Um, so. That, that, I, I really like the fact that he brought that up because, um, you know, I, I too am a person of faith. And um, I think that that's really important because there can be some issues that can arise that may, you know, be difficult mm. for people. Um, and so it's good to know that those accommodations are there and that it's done in a way that's really respectful of what their individual beliefs are, because this is a very intimate and personal process. And I think um, it, that's one of the things that's most important. And that not just here specifically in, in the issues of reproductive medicine and health, but I think across the board, I think, um, you know, people want to know that the care that they are receiving um, is care that allows them to voice their concerns, their apprehensions, and to incorporate their beliefs into the care that they're receiving. I think that's really important. So I'm, I, I'm glad to know you guys acknowledge that. That's awesome. And Marty's actually looked into that in a study that she did. Marty, do you want to talk at all about uh, sure. that? Sure. Yeah, we actually um, did a study and had it published a few years ago. And, and one of the factors that we did look into is faith and how much that played a role in a patient's decision-making process, um, patients who are going through in vitro fertilization. and um, But we looked at the financial aspect, um, faith, their social social support system, and, and really um, faith was important for patients. And also once they understood the medical component as well, um, you know, they were able to, to sort of blend the two and realize um, what they medically made it, made, needed to have done. And then they were able to, uh, you know, complement their faith and their belief with that um, as well. I love it. So you guys actually looked at faith, finances and friends and family. That's correct. That's right. That is exactly right. <laughs> Four Fs. Awesome. As, as it pertains to fertility. Yeah, the most exactly. disturbing thing, and correct me, Marty, I, I think they didn't listen to the doctor that much. Isn't that Actually, right? Actually, they did. did they? <laughs> they did. But uh, friends and family were right up there as friends well. Oh, my gosh. Oh, such yeah. a huge influence. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Um, so we had started off by um, I, I wanted to go back to um, the issue of your um, I wanted to ask about non-medical interventions 
um, and what you if there are things that you guys recommend this is one that I that's a bombshell and when I tell people this they freak out but I have so many people as a person who takes care of high-risk pregnancies so women who've been told that they can't get pregnant or they've been unsuccessful in having unprotected sex for so long that they believe that they can't get pregnant because it just hadn't happened and so because they're not actively not trying they assume that it's just something's wrong I'm just not gonna have a baby and then miraculously say for example they lose weight. Right. So they go on a diet or they start exercising, increase their physical activity, and it doesn't even take a huge amount of weight. So there are women who were like, oh, but I thought I'd have to lose 50 pounds or 100 pounds before they would actually be able to achieve a pregnancy. Or they'll say, well, you know, all the time when I had all that weight, I never got pregnant. And then just by losing a small percentage of their overall body weight, then the stick turns. You get the plus sign after they pee on the stick, and and now we've got a baby. And Some they people are, have to gain weight too, right? That's yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And so the influence. So so weight loss or gain, depending mm-hmm. on what end of the spectrum you're on. And there are some other, are there other non-medical interventions that can contribute to or improve increased fertility? Uh, Sure. So um, you have hit on a really important topic, and it's really discussing the environment and how it plays a role um, in our fertility. And we really believe that it um, can impact it significantly. We've actually... um, brought a registered dietitian on board with us to actually work with our patients, um, both patients that need to gain weight or need to lose weight. And just like you said, just a little bit of a change can make the difference. Um, changing the balance between your protein and your carbohydrates and, and just getting the, the right percentages that you need can make all the difference in the world. Um, plastics, uh, toxins, organic foods, all all types of small changes that you can make every day that could be just the little impact that you need to get the result that you're looking for. Awesome. So we are going to take our last break of the hour. We have roughly, guys, about less than 10 minutes before we wrap for the for the day. So um, get your calls and your questions ready. The number is one 877 mpb ring Southern Remedy for Women, talking all things fertility. And we'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're back at Southern Remedy for Women, and we are talking about fertility today. 
Um, we have our guests from Mississippi Reproductive Medicine, Drs. Marty Gephardt and Dr. Randall Hines. And I am Dr. Michelle Owens in here with my beloved co-host, Dr. Ellie Brown. Um, so this is our last segment, guys. If you have questions or comments, please make sure you give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring And we are going to jump right back in. Um, during the break, we were talking about um, some of the calls that we've had, which have been phenomenal over the course of the past hour. Um, but one of the things that a lot of people are concerned about, you brought up the dreaded number, 35, which is so young. It so is. Young. Those seem like it's a so long young. time ago. 35 has gotten a bad rap. Um, but just so for for those women who are at 35 or beyond, you said that so you need to have a shorter a shorter wait time. Right. Correct. About six months. Um, and are, are there any other spe- special things that women who may be in that age group or beyond um, might need to know or may be able to take advantage of um, that are unique for them based on their age? So one of the more interesting things that's changed over the last uh, five to ten years is the ability in those cases where it's needed is to test embryos. And what we know is that um, um, any patient at any age can make an abnormal embryo, but obviously as you get older, the probability of an abnormal embryo goes up, and many of these embryos are not going to lead to pregnancy. So in those patients who have a reason to do IVF, if they want to do it, it's elective, we can now test the embryo before we transfer the embryo back into the uterus to be sure that that embryo has the ability to get them pregnant. That testing is not going to guarantee a pregnancy. It's not going to prevent a miscarriage, but miscarriage rates are going to be lower. And so uh, testing, pre-implantation genetic screening is something that we do frequently in the IVF clinic to be sure that we're transferring a healthy embryo. Now, here's another question. How reliable is that test? Because, you know, one of the things, especially when you, if you are considering this, this process for women um, and for families takes, it can be time consuming and take a lot of time. And the other piece is that, you know, there may be a lot of apprehension, a lot of concern. People kind of want, I'm learning people want guarantees. They ask me that all the time. Dr. Owens, (laughs) I want the guarantee. You know, are, are careful to tell patients that no matter what we do, no matter how good things look, we cannot guarantee a pregnancy and we can't guarantee a healthy baby. But there's some things that we can do to increase the likelihood of that happening. So PGS is a, a testing that is not standard of care yet. Uh, it's available, but we don't certainly require it of anyone. And um, and that testing is uh, supposed to be about 98% accurate. There have been some errors, particularly when it comes to gender. Those errors have happened. Uh, but most of the time, it's going to work out, and it's going to increase the chance that the patient uh, has a, a, a pregnancy from that specific transfer. And patients now have the ability. You can pick boy, girl. It's so, not just, <laughs> hey, whatever, we're just going to toss this thing in and whatever comes out. So a couple of things about that. One, obviously, when we do chromosome testing of embryos, we are not changing the chromosomes of the embryos. We're just observing it in a way that we didn't before. Uh, what we love to hear from patients when we get ready to transfer the embryo is transfer the best embryo. Uh, so we, we like to hear that they're not actually concerned about the gender. Uh, but, of course, it is uh, their information. And if somebody says, say, if these two embryos are equivalent, I'd rather have a girl first or a boy first, then, of course, we're going to accommodate that as well. Wonderful. 
So this is better than spinning the sperm, right? So you don't have to spin the sperm. That's a very old uh, infertility joke, guys. You'll you just Google it. Um, so, Marty, uh, t- we have just a, a minute and a half or so left in the show. I just would love for you guys to give our listeners some some parting ideas, encouragement, um, things that they need to know for the folks who've been listening and who might be thinking about whether or not it's time for them to pull the trigger and and come in to see somebody or who are wondering whether or not this is really going to be for them. Well, there are so many things that I would love to say, but I do not have uh, the amount of time to say it. But, um, you know, one thing we have focused on age and and people being older getting pregnant. Um, But I also want to add that um, elective egg freezing has now um, come about, I believe, since 2013. It was experimental before that time, and now it's, it's not considered experimental. And so we have patients that are you know, they, they don't have a partner, they're in school, they're postponing pregnancy for whatever reason, and um, they're coming into us and just being proactive and doing elective egg freezing. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, something that people can always consider, too, instead of, you know, waiting another five or six years until they decide that they're ready to have a baby, and then it it may be a little later. Um, but, you know, in final closing, I would just like to say for anybody that's considering their reproductive options to just come in and just have a consult and just let us sit down and speak with you and, um, you know, go over what options you have. And do you need interventions? Do you not inter- need interventions? Is everything going fine? Or we can just create a good plan for you and just don't wait. Absolutely. So that there you go. Don't wait. That's the take home from today. Don't wait. And we're going to have to talk about this egg freezing thing. How long does that last? I mean, that's awesome. That's um, good. So thank you guys for being with us. We always enjoy it. Thanks so much for talking about this difficult topic. Uh, today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by Jay White. We have a wonderful call screener who I cannot see. Um, it's Liz Gill. Thanks, Liz. With Dr. Allie Brown, of course, I am Michelle Owens. Thank you so much for being with us. And join us next Friday at 11 o'clock for Southern Remedy for Women. Uh, NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.